The scripture reading this morning continues from the book of Luke, beginning uh, at Luke 2, 22 and through 38. And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought the child in, child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up to that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are many great classic movies of Christmas, but one of the, the most important has to be It's a Wonderful Life. James Stewart stars as George Bailey. And the movie opens very ominously with George contemplating suicide on Christmas Eve. Um, We then see his life as he again and again sacrifices for other people at his own expense. We see him lose his dreams and ambitions for the sake of other people. But now he has gotten into trouble as he has misplaced $8,000 of $20,000 he owes to the bank. 
I'm giving you the whole movie. If you haven't seen it by now, you probably aren't going to. Right? His guardian angel, Clarence, saves him and shows him how bad the community would be if he had never been born. In the end, the community rallies around him to give him this $8,000. And George understands the importance of being a blessing to others. Though the movie did not do well when it originally came out, it has had a lasting position in our movie libraries at Christmas. We love this lesson of sacrificing for others. We all love that the community helps, and we love that at Christmas all seems wonderful in the end. But this movie also hits on a struggle, that it is through pain that George sees the wonder of life. Without his own struggle and sacrifices, life is not wonderful, in fact. He has to feel pain so that he can feel the blessing of blessings, blessing others. And what if in real life, the ending doesn't work out as well as it does in the movie? George gets to see it. He gets to see the community come around in response. And in movies, you can do that. You can make half happy, weave together a nice ending. But in life, it's not always so neat. Not all of the moments of our lives give us an angel to teach us how things would be different other ways. Today we go to this interesting passage, and, and there may be some of you in here that have never heard this passage. It doesn't often get read at Christmas, but it is the end of the birth narrative of Jesus according to Luke. He goes to the temple. Uh, Jesus is taken to the temple uh, at the end of a period of purification to make a sacrifice. And there we meet these two strange characters, Simeon and Anna. I want to use their testimony today to help us think about Advent. So Mary and Joseph take them to the temple, and I want to start with the story of Anna, and then we will jump back to Simeon. The text says that Anna is 84 years old. In those days, you have to understand, that's two lifetimes. That is two life expectancies. Okay, somewhere when she was very young, she got married, as was the custom in those days. She had her husband for seven years, and now, maybe 65 years later, she is alone. She would have very little. It would not be easy to be a widow in those days, and she's been doing it for 65 years. She is a prophetess, meaning she hears messages from the Lord and speaks them to people. Now, I'm not sure, the text doesn't tell us how that was perceived in those days, but I would guess that would be perceived similarly as it would be today. You can imagine if you had come in here this morning and someone had said, God told me a message from you and here it is, you would not be real sure about that person, right? Sit on the opposite side of the sanctuary from where they sit. It would not have necessarily been uh, a really great thing and really well accepted in the community. She might seem a little crazy. She is often at the temple, but on this day she finds something special. And Luke tells us, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She perceives that this baby is the answer to all these prayers that have been coming. And we don't have her words, but we know she proclaims this to everybody she can see. 
That thing we've been waiting for is coming to pass right now in that little baby over there. See, before the development of the Jewish people, it was expected that some people were better than others. Some people deserved to be masters, and some people deserved to be slaves, and that was how the world worked. But in the Jewish people, in their experience of Egypt, they began to have this radical idea that people were created by God and that they should be free and cared for. This was the whole ideal of Judaism. We're God's people and we're meant to be free. But now, for centuries, they haven't been free. Between the Babylonians and then the Assyrians and now the Romans, they're not truly free. For centuries, they've only had a shadow of the freedom that they believed God should have given them. And they're waiting. They're longing. They're expecting this freedom. And Anna sits there at the temple and says, You see that baby over there? That baby is bringing us all of that we've been waiting for. The redemption of Jerusalem. Before her, we see the testimony of a man named Simeon. He is righteous and devout. And he is waiting for this consolation of Israel. Waiting for Israel's tears to be dried and comfort to be given. He's expecting God. He's longing for God. And the Holy Spirit has revealed to him that he would not die until he sees Christ the Messiah. And on this day, the Holy Spirit leads him to the temple and he sees this holy family and he gets it. He understands that in this child, all those things that he's been waiting for, that he was going to, were going to be revealed to him, are being uh, shown in this little baby. Let me read his words again. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This little prayer actually has a name. It's called the Nunc Dimittis. And uh, if you were raised in the Episcopal Church or the Catholic Church, you may recognize some of these words because they're used sometimes in compline, in evening prayers. They're used sometimes after communion, a prayer like this. Now, Lord, let, the, let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. So it was used as a prayer. When we would leave, we would leave church or we would leave communion, we would say, okay, Lord, let us now depart in peace. Simeon means, though, his death, that he has been waiting, he's been staying alive, and now he can leave this world in peace. Simeon also sees Jesus as the answer to this expecting hope that Israel has. But he also says this amazing thing. It would have been shocking in his day, particularly when he proclaims it at the temple. What he calls Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Now, Gentiles are simply those people who are not Jewish. Basically, us. As far as I can tell, most of us are not Jewish. And uh, for Simeon to proclaim this is amazing. This means that this Jesus is not the nationalistic leader that they were sort of expecting at that time. But he is much more. He is this Savior, this Messiah for the world, for you, and for me. So Simeon takes the child up in his arms and he proclaims this to everyone and praises God for this child. And then he turns to Mary and Joseph 
and speaks prophetically to them. Let me read those words again. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Again, he has this concern for Israel. Because of this child, there will be social upheaval. Some will rise, some will fall. In other words, Simeon predicts right away, not everybody is going to like this baby. Not everyone is going to accept this baby. Not everyone is going to accept what this baby does. Not everyone's going to like it. By the way, this is true today. Not everybody likes Jesus. Not everyone expect, uh, likes and accepts Jesus, especially the real Jesus. It's one thing to like kind, of, like kind of a fluffy Jesus that just says love everybody, but when you have a Jesus that would die on a cross, and you have a Jesus that would do and say some of the things that he does and says, not everybody really likes that kind of Jesus. That kind of Jesus makes us examine our hearts, makes us take a look in the mirror, take a look at our lives and decide whether we're actually doing what we should be doing. Paul calls Jesus a stumbling block for many. There's some people who just can't quite get over who Jesus actually is. So what we often do is we make a Jesus that we like, and we praise a Jesus that we like instead of actually praising the Jesus that is revealed to us in the scriptures. And today I want to focus on this very strange line from from Simeon. He says, and a sword will pierce through your soul also. It's such a strange line that if you looked at it up on the screen, it's in parentheses. A lot of scholars have wondered if it's really original to the text, because it's so weird and almost seems out of place like an interruption. But, but I'm going to say that I think it fits the moment pretty well. Let us consider for a moment how much Jesus must have pierced the soul of his mother Mary. It could not have been easy to raise Jesus knowing who he was, knowing he was God, knowing this larger purpose. Remember when the shepherds come to Mary, it says that that she pondered all these things in her heart. That is an understatement, I think. Okay, I can imagine Mary pacing the floor, wondering, pondering these things. Wondering how this is all going to work out. Can you imagine how she must have felt to raise this child? To go through and see his life. And she has trouble understanding his life once he gets older and really starts his ministry. If you go back and read Mark 3, Mary and some of her other sons go to find Jesus to try to stop him because they think he's going crazy. They can't believe some of the things they're hearing him say, and uh, they're worried because he's up against these religious leaders. They see that not everybody likes what he's having to say. But it's got to have been hard to have seen Jesus grow up in your household, got to have trouble to be one of his brothers who played hide-and-go-seek with him, and now he's making these claims and doing these things. I mean, you can imagine the difficulty We also know from John 9 that Mary watches Jesus die on the cross. Can you imagine as a parent, not not just losing a child, and I've known parents who have gone through that and how amazingly difficult that would be, but to witness him tortured to death on a cross, what would that do? 
Jesus said in Matthew 10, 34, that he came not to bring peace, but a sword. And I wonder if there wasn't a person on this earth that understood that more than Mary. Mary gets a sword to the soul as Jesus gets nails in his limbs and spears to his side. Simeon's words, so strange, but yet they're so true for Mary. A sword pierces her soul in this. This good news for everybody else is not always good news. It comes accompanied with pain and with sorrow. And I wonder if that's something we should think about at Advent. It is not always easy to follow Jesus. It costs something. It challenges our souls. In fact, Paul calls Jesus a stumbling block because he's not easy to follow and accept. Often people have trouble accepting the lordship of Jesus because he's too much of a cut to their soul. Jesus brings wholeness. He brings healing. He brings joy. But at the same time, like a surgeon with a scalpel, scalpel, sometimes healing begins with a cut. Right? Joy and wholeness come from incisions and scars. As Isaiah 53 tells us, by his stripes we are healed. That the healing and the joy that Jesus brings often comes not through his own cut, through his own wounds. And sometimes it means that we get a little surgery in the process. That some of the pain and some of the sorrow we go through, Christ uses to form and to shape us. I love the painting up on the screen. Sorry, choir. But uh, this is called The Nativity of Christ, painted by Lorenzo Lotto in Italy in 1523. Does anybody notice anything unique about the painting, though? In the upper left-hand corner, in the shadow of the painting, you can barely see, but that's not a, that's not a projector problem. It's a subtle thing in the, in the painting. There's a crucifix. You see the crucifix now? Kind of in the back there, the crucifix, upper left. What this captures so well that in the background of the Christmas story is the cross. Right? That this is the first step on a path that leads to the cross. What George Bailey learns in A Wonderful Life is that the wonderful nature of life is not without pain. It's actually connected to the pain. Mary learns this lesson too. She gets the joy of a baby, Jesus, but also the pain of a sword to the soul. We would love it if life was all wonderful. Without any dying, without any sacrifices, without any conflict, everyone just liking us and everything working out so neatly the way it does in a movie. But it doesn't work out that way, does it? It is a risk to live. It is a risk to love. It is a risk to try. Life is challenging. It pierces our soul. And we have a conflict. We have a choice that we have to make. I have known people, and so have you, who have just decided to stop living and to stop loving and to stop risking because the pain is too much. The chances are too great. The problem is there's pain that way too, isn't there? If you decide not to love and not to live, you have the pain of missing out, 
of not living life to the fullest. The alternative is to live a full life, to risk, to live, to love, to experiment, to play, to fall down and get back up. But I'm telling you, true joy comes from the edges. Life is most wonderful when it is also most risky. Do you think Mary would have traded all the pain, the cut of her soul? Do you think she would have given that all up and avoided all that if it meant she couldn't have Jesus? Not in a million years. In fact, it's true for all of us, isn't it? That the ones that we love the most are the ones that can hurt us the most. Probably because we care about their feelings too much. Maybe because they have the best ammunition because they know us so well. But it's at Christmas that we learn even in the middle of the pain that we pursue joy because we have to risk. And here's what I want to say to you. If you're feeling loss and grief, if you feel like your soul is being cut at this Christmas season if you have stress and you have grief and you have regret and you have loneliness, there is room in this story for you. And not just room in this story for you. I think this story is specifically for you. That God enters into that pain and brings joy, not not by erasing it all, but brings joy and love into the midst of it. You don't have to have it all put together. In fact, the best joy is the sort of rebellious joy that says, I shouldn't have joy, but I'm going to have it anyway. So may you have the patient, insightful hope and joy that Simeon and Anna have, that you may recognize the importance of Jesus and give praise even when life does not seem so wonderful. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.